So our text for this morning is from 1 John um, chapter 4 and verses 7 to 21. Um, it's, there's too much to get to here. We'll actually only get down to verse 10. Um, but I want to read it for the context so you can see why it's important uh, what we're going to lay out to us, or what, what God's going to lay out to us. And I'm going to try and be faithful to that. Uh, why do we read the scriptures? Uh, God speaks to us most clearly and directly when his word is read and heard. And so, please give your attention to God's, the reading of God's word, his inerrant, fallible, and thus ever helpful word. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in his love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, come on, I forgot to retrain you in that. Okay, I say this is the word of the Lord, and you say... Let's show our thanks with prayer. Father, we are thankful for your word we would be so lost without it. We would know so little about you, about ourselves. We wouldn't know how to navigate life. We wouldn't know even what retuning our hearts need. And boy, do they need it. Boy, does mine need it. So do retune our hearts 
particularly help us to sense uh, your love and to respond to it. Help us to believe that that at the core of who you are is love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I um, hinted that I wouldn't get to everything this morning. Uh, This is the first uh, in what is an eight-sermon series, um, pondering uh, God's attributes of love. If you want to hear the rest of them, um, I'm preaching through these at a church on the East Coast, Columbia Presbyterian Church. You can see it on YouTube as they come out. Why eight sermons on God's love? Um, in, in nearly 30 years of ministry, I have found that this is where my problems mostly lie, and where most problems, most people's problems lie. And it's a multifaceted problem, um, and so there's multiple sermons to try and get at those different facets. The one facet, the one problem that I'm trying to get to, to this morning to try and help solve is one that goes like this. Well, sure, God's love, but... Well, sure, God's love, but... And what do you fill in the blank with? However you choose to fill in the blank is the very way that you want to caveat or condition or think that you have to balance off the love of God that flows from his being. Now, surely, we need to understand that God's love is different than the world's definitions of love. Uh, God's love is certainly not a UBU kind of love, because that would actually be profoundly unloving. You see, God loves you, he loves me enough to take us just as we are, as we come beginning a lifestyle of repentance and faith, as we begin turning from functionally trying to save ourselves by being very good or by being very bad. Uh, We sin because it makes, as a deacon now with the Lord in my first church put it, uh, it seemed like a really good idea at the time. (laughs) And sin seems like a very good idea at the time because We don't see a way out of the situation that we're in, and so we're like, I'm going to take the bull by the horns, and I'm going to solve this. And we solve it by sinning. And in that sense, in that micro sense, in that instance, we try and save ourselves instead of turning to the Lord. And so we sin. And so when we we come... In the beginning of the Christian life, we begin this lifestyle of daily repentance and faith. We've begun that process of saying, eh, I'm done with that. And instead, we've begun a daily lifestyle of saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you living perfectly for me. I need you dying for me and rising for me. Father, I need to sense your love, Holy Spirit. Um, this phrase further down that we're maybe, maybe when I come in August, we'll, be, we'll do this one. Um, But this wonderful phrase in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Oh, there's wonder there. When we come in in faith, we, we come and we say, oh, I need that. I need less self power 
and I need more to be given of your spirit. That's, that's a lifestyle of repentance and faith. So when, when we begin that, God will take us exactly where we are as we begin that lifestyle of turning away from trying to save ourselves and instead we, we come to Jesus and we say, I need you. And He'll take you just as you are. And God loves you too much to leave you where you are. Understand that leaving you where you are is unloving to you. It's unloving to the people around you. Because they need you to be distinctly different than you are. They need me to be distinctly different than I am. We need to be quite different than where we were when God first laid hold of us. And our only hope to be different, to end up as loving people, is to actually really begin daily to be amazed at the love of God for me. To to roll over in your bed in the morning as I seek to do, and lay on my back and begin to pray, and that, that what can honestly come out in the beginning of your prayers is you love me. I am loved by God. Can you say that? You see, the only possible way that you and I end up being loving people is if we're amazed, if we're awash in God's love. That's what we're told here. And so let's, let's jump in a little bit. Let's first understand, there's a little outline in your bulletin if you're a note taker. Let's understand how important it is to get God's love right. Why is this so important? Look with me at verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. Now, notice, um, John, first John's got some really direct stuff in it, but you're not meant to read, to read that directness as though it's not loving. And so he tells you that it's loving. He says, beloved. It's very tender. Let us love one another. This is the thing he's going after. It's what starts and ends this paragraph. Um, Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we end up as loving people? Well, you might remember these words from John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have... Okay, so maybe you've forgotten that when I'm here, it's participatory theater. Okay, so that means when I pause like that, you're supposed to understand that I'm asking for a line back. Okay? All right, here, let's try it again. Here you go. Now you're prepared. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have for one another. Love for one another. You know, that's the single criteria that Jesus gives. The only time he says something like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Something that, is, that comes from him. And whoever loves, the way you can tell, is the way that that shows up in their life, is that they've been born of God. That they've experienced this fundamental heart change that we call the new birth or regeneration or coming alive in Christ, whatever way you want to put it, come to life. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's been changed by that. 
Conversely, anyone who does not love does not know God. Full stop. Their lack of love proves that they don't know the loving one. Because if they did, they'd be changed by it. If um, you have not taken in Michael Reeves' little book, Delighting in the Trinity, you should. I'm rereading it right now as I'm going through this series, and it's quite wonderful. Um, there's a quote in there, the author is Michael Reeves, he's a um, British guy, it's, it's quite helpful. And in there he talks about one of the Puritans, his name is um, Richard Sibbs, and, and here's what Reeves says about Sibbs and Sibbs' analysis and this point about God's love. Sibbs was adamant, Reeves says, Sibbs was adamant that it is our view of God that shapes us most deeply. We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. And so if we aim to respond to the great commandment, right? To love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourself. If we aim to respond to the great commandment, to love God and love our neighbor, whoever they be, wherever they be, then we desperately must know the love of God. We must know God rightly. And this is why, that's why we must love the correct God, not a false impression where we, we remake God into some kind of carnival mirror image. This is of utmost importance. If we don't love, John tells us, God tells us through John, we don't know God. Now, if we don't love at all, What we're told here is that we haven't been changed yet at the core of our being by the Holy Spirit working the gospel message into our hearts. That's what the ESV Study Bible says here, and I didn't think it could be better than that. If we don't love at all, if that could never be said of us. Now, for most of us, as we've come to Christ, what we find is our love needs to grow a lot. We love some. And if our love is halting, it's occasional, then we need this, I need this to come home way more. And what I'd like you to ponder is that perhaps your caveats are hurting you. Yeah, yeah, sure sure God is love, but... And what you put in the blank is your caveat or your conditioning or your balancing off. And I'm... Gently trying to say, maybe those are hurting you. Maybe they're actually keeping you from ending up more loving. Now that's solvable. Maybe not easily solvable. That's why it's going to be several sermons. But it's certainly solvable. And what we're told here is that the solution is fairly simple. It's to accurately understand who God is and receive it as true for me. It's true. But do I believe it? Do I live like it's true? Is it changing me day by day? I, I think this is why we aren't the only people who struggled with this. I, I think this is why, likely why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3 prays for the Ephesians. Let me read this prayer for you, or, or some of it. As he's praying for them, 
Paul says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wouldn't that be great? To know the love of God, Christ, that surpasses knowledge. It would be great. It's a good thing to pray for yourself. To know this Father and Son rightly. Well, as we keep going here, the next thing the Apostle John's going to say at the end of verse 8 is that God is love. But I want to say that for last and instead jump over that to John's proof that God is love. So how do you know, secondly, that God is love? Look with me at verses 9 and 10. In this, in what? You want to... You want to see it? You want to have it proven to you that God indeed is love? In this, the love of God was made manifest. This word manifest is a beautiful Greek word that's in, that the root of it is what we get um, our word uh, phantasm. And so it's made manifest. It's, it's shown out among us where we can see it. How was it made manifest among us? That God sent His only Son into the world. I have three sons. They are each frustrating in their own ways. They're also each wonderful, and you can't have any of them. They're mine, and you can't have them. Maybe a wife can have them, but you can't have them. What, what's meant to strike you here, what John's trying to point you towards, is he tries to prove to you that God is love, is that what I would never do, he did. That God had one son. And he sent him into the world. And he sent him into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. You see, this this thing that we're repenting of is basically us trying to live through ourselves. That's functionally what we're doing as we sin. We're trying to live by our own power, answer our own solutions. We are trying to live through Matt. When I sin. And when I come over here, I'm like, that's not life, that's death. I need life through you. So that we might live through him, not through ourselves. That we might move from death to life. That's how it's put in John 5, 24. That we might live through him. Why is it that we need to to live through him? Keep going, verse 10. And this is love... Not that we have loved God. You see, the the solution over here that we think that we might have by sinning 
is that, that we think we can get it done. And what you're kindly being told here is, I can't get it done. You can't get it done. We haven't, we can't, we won't. We have not loved God. It's not that we have loved God. However, wonderfully, notice the adversative but, but that he loved us. How did he? He sent his son, his only son into the world. Why? Why did God send his son into the world? Certainly out of love, for sure. Certainly because also we would have been hopeless without it. Why? He sent his son to be, now here's your word for the week. Let's say it all out loud together. Propitiation. You ready? Here we go. Propitiation. What in the world? If you have a Bible, I heard a, as I was prepping for this last week where I preached it first in Maryland, I, was listen, I like to listen to other people's sermons. They're all usually quite different than mine, but that's okay. It's still interesting and fun. And I was listening to a preacher who said, if your Bible doesn't have this word in it at this point, throw it away. <laughs> this is an incredibly important word to not lose. Um, if you can use it in a sentence this week where it makes sense, you get extra points from the preacher. Send a son to be the propitiation for our sins. What in the world is a propitiation? It is that which turns aside rightly deserved wrath. That which turns aside rightly deserved wrath. The message of the gospel is that God's wrath for your sins and mine was exhausted on Jesus. This is how the love of God was manifested. This is God trying to prove to you, I am love and so I love. This is what it looks like. This kind of sacrifice. Sometimes you'll hear people say that God has unconditional love for people. But that's actually wrong. The reality is something far better and more wonderful than that. God has contra-conditional love for people. Um... If we think of it, Dorothy, when this, if, when this goes up on the web, I have a link for you to a Paulison. David Paulison has a great piece where he talks about this. Uh, it's a wonderful little PDF you can read. God has contra-conditional love. He has love that for us that is against our condition, against our deservedness. Uh, we need propitiation because there isn't something in us that deserves love. In fact, the opposite is the case. Our only hope is that God loves us not based on who we are or what we've done, but on who he is and what Jesus has done. Another way you can think about that is that we receive met condition love. The condition's been met by Jesus. What John's telling you is that this is the right reading of the coming of the Son of God into the world's. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now friends, this is a very different kind of love than 